if you can't make sustainability the default option, which is not always not always a, a possibility for for your product or your customer, then you can make it easier. So this is about choice architecture and how we look at what are all the different choices that we're putting in front of our consumer and how do we make the sustainable choice, the easy choice, the most desirable and appealing choice for them. Welcome to Real People, Real Impact, the podcast where we talk to people in the ESG world that are actually doing things, not just talking about them. I'm your host, Kayuma Jan, also known as Q. Welcome to the Real People, Real Impact podcast. I'm Kayum or Q, and I'm your host. Today, I have an awesome person with me who's Petra Jani, and she is the co-founder of Hatcher LLC. And Hatcher, I'm going to give it to Petra in a little bit to put that in her own words, but it's where advisory meets incubation, doing really cool stuff with social impact and you know ventures in this space. But I'm not going to butcher that totally. So first of all, Petra, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, then we can get into a little bit about what Hatcher actually is. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks, Q, for having me on today. I really uh, enjoyed our conversations during our sustainability and behavior change event a couple of weeks ago. So it's great to be speaking with you today. So yeah, my name is Petra Janney. I'm one of the founders of Hatcher, and it's our mission to invent a sustainable future for our clients and, and communities. So like you mentioned, we kind of uh, go after that mission through two separate strategies or branches of our company, if you will. On the one side, we have the advisory kind of consulting area where we work with companies on really bold initiatives to move the needle on sustainability. And then on the other side, we're putting our money where our mouth is with our own incubations in the uh, sustainability and social good space. So we're trying to help companies change and then actively be part of the change at the same time. Nice. That's a good. That's a good portfolio effect, right? And you can talk a little on both sides of uh, of the stream. So, I know you have a very interesting background. So, how did you get into you know co-founding Hatcher, and what was your journey into the sustainability uh, ecosystem? Yeah. Well, how much how much time do you have, Q? No. <laughs> I, I mean, this whole life of ours, honestly, is just a random walk. Like, <laughs> you know, like things just happen as they do, but. Uh, Cole's notes if you can, and we can get you on for a half a day podcast one day in the future. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. Sounds great. So uh, I guess I'll start at the beginning, but I promise I won't tell my whole life story. Uh, I was I was lucky enough to grow up in Maine, kind of surrounded by nature, and I've always had this deep affinity for the natural environment and all the creatures in it. But I've also been very fascinated by technology and, and the power that technology really has to transform human potential and what, what humans are capable of. So I kind of pursued that idea. I spent 10 years working in technology research and development, um, basically working across all different kinds of industries. And I'm kind of this hyper curious person where I, I like exploring how the, the patterns and ideas from different industries kind of cross over. Um, but anyway, after about a decade in, in research and development, working on you know educational experiences for the Smithsonian, um, built exoskeletons to start a national conversation around aging, um, worked on mobile fabrication laboratories uh, that can survive in any environment for the military. And, and while I always kind of wove sustainability into those projects in some way, after a while, it became kind of frustrating. Like, how is this not the major focus of these major companies and institutions and, and organizations, right? I mean, the writing has been on the wall um, for a really long time that, that climate is changing and that's the way the world is heading. And so if we position our companies to prepare for it, we're obviously going to be in great shape. It just seems so clear. 
so anyway, I kind of had this epiphany after about 10 years that kind of conventional technology R&D, it, it's supposed to solve problems, but it's really just making new ones, right? So, and we're just hoping that future generations are, are better able to solve them. So- Take the, take the can um, down the road. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, they'll take care of it. Um, so we we founded Hatcher to really address that that problem we saw that um, you know conventional R and D is is just creating more problems, and that sustainability is still an afterthought for so many of these really massive companies. And so we see sustainability as this really critical, like the critical forcing function for future innovation. Right? If you're not thinking in this in this domain, then you're you're missing out on all kinds of opportunities and challenges that that are coming our way. Um, and so, yeah, so sustainability has always been a, a massive passion of mine. And I, I always kind of assumed, I, I kind of took for granted that it was a passion of everyone's. And then, you know, you, you spend some time working and you realize, oh, wow, this is not, not the focal point that it should be. So we started Hatcher and, and to make sustainability at, at the core of everything we do. That's awesome. I, I feel like from your background, it's like, you know, that Venn diagram where like your talent and your experience meets perfect, like, you know, like you're in the zone of, you're, you're in your purpose zone, I feel like right now, which yeah. is, it's a beautiful place to be. And I feel like I'm, I'm in the same, in the same one, which is why I think we, we connect really well. Um, so with Hatcher, like as companies are moving to the sustainability frontier, and like you said, like a lot of the things that they should be doing should be the obvious choice, or it should be the base level. Like, I don't want to get into any secret sauce of some of the things that you guys are doing, but you know, what does advisory look like today? Like what, what are companies asking for or better yet like what are you telling companies that they need to do yeah absolutely so um so there's there's a whole spectrum of things that we work on in sustainability and i think that's one of the reasons that it's such an interesting field to work in um we we work exclusively on projects where sustainability and innovation really converge because you know you can't really have one without the other in this day and age um, so everything that we do, and it's a broad spectrum but i'll, I'll try to give you some detail um it has to drive meaningfully toward a better relationship with the earth, right? We're literally headed for catastrophe. So everything we do, you know, we kind of see it, it has to move the needle. Um, and and sustainability is really a different way of thinking about our businesses, our industries, and our future. So, you know, that's kind of the the approach that we that we try to bring. Um, but sometimes to give you a sense of of what kind of projects we're actually work on working on, sometimes we're prototyping new products that create differentiators through uh, sustainable performance. Sometimes we're changing business models to make them more circular, you know, helping our, our clients make more money without using more resources or making more products. And then other times we're really developing the tools, the technologies to make that sustainable decision, the easy decision. And whether that's for our clients' internal teams or through tools and experiences that better engage their customers. So um, I guess I can give you a sense of, of the process and how we kind of walk sure. through that. Yeah, so I guess the, the first step is usually um, you know, understanding the barriers to sustainability within a company and with their consumers. So we're not we're not going to work with a company that's just not interested in sustainability. Like we don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, everyone has unique barriers and challenges when it comes to making uh, more sustainable products or reducing their carbon footprint. So we kind of start there, and then um, you know whether that problem turns out to be a technology gap or a you know customer engagement issue, a behavior change issue, like we we've talked about a bit. Um, or the product experience itself can be the problem. And then we start to create this kind of vision for how can we change that and how can we really be 
be bold and brave. It's, it's easier to get people to buy into a big vision than it is for some incremental small little idea, right? So um, we kind of create demos and, and simulations, prototypes, whatever it takes to build that buy-in for um, a new way of, of thinking about the product or the company. And then, you know, we're maturing and evolving those prototypes into something that, that our clients can go implement. So um, one example is decision support tools that help your your workforce basically make sustainable choices in product development or um, help consumers understand kind of their impact through choosing your products. And then kind of all of this, I guess, taking a step back as part of this roadmap that we trace out as far as we can see into the future to ensure that kind of each step in the process is really is bringing us closer to that, that goal of a sustainable relationship with the planet. Yeah, it sounds like just helping organizations like fully integrate this, right? Like as just part of their central nervous system, it's just part of their DNA. And what was interesting is um, kind of you mentioned the different problems that companies might have in implementing this. And obviously by the time they come to you, these are companies that are thinking about this a little bit more, not like you said, the ones that you don't have time for, right? <laughs> which I'm sure there's quite a few of those today. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but I would assume that, you know, a big, a big issue is, is cost. Uh, would you say that's, still one of the main issues or is it it sounds like it's much broader than that right like the reason why a company might not be at the point where you know they're creating sustainable solutions circular economies style things and everything that they do yeah certainly certainly cost is always a problem i think funding is is always a problem and you know you heard me mention just now it's like if you if you try to get people to sign up for a little idea it's surprising how much you can actually get people excited about a bigger vision, even though there's often a bigger price tag attached to it. Um, but it really runs the gamut. So, you know, we work with all different kinds of companies and some of them are really good at the footprinting side of it, where they're actually saving money because they're decarbonizing their supply chain, they're switching over to renewable energy and they're, they're saving money. Um, but they're not engaging their customers in that progress. So people don't know that they're actually buying from a, from a, from a brand or a company that's made a lot of progress on that front. And they're kind of missing that, that aspect of goodwill that they could be kind of, um, they could be enjoying a bump from that if they were considering how to kind of properly engage their communities in their progress. And then I would say there's the other side as well, which is that um, there's certain companies that are really good at engaging their communities. They're creating a lot of conversation around it. They know it's important but they don't always have the the technology or the execution plan to really deliver on what they're committing to. And that's a huge reputation risk as well. Right. So um, there's kind of companies that fall all along that spectrum. And, and, you know, some of them just say, hey, we need to just set the goals and commit and be transparent about the goals and we'll figure out how to achieve them. And others, and there's sometimes kind of interesting things depending on where you work in the world, but others are like, hey, we just need to basically put our put our heads down, get get working, like make some progress on the numbers, and then we'll figure out how to communicate with our with our communities about what we're doing. And really, it's like, you have to do all of that. You have to do all of it totally. almost, you know, not at once, but you have to be thinking about this thing, as you said, as an integrated and holistic kind of part of your nervous system and not some kind of afterthought um, to add on to your strategy. Yeah, it's all fluid, right? And, you know, obviously, like, what's the recipe on paper is really just like this interconnected sort of web. And yeah, what's what's really intriguing about the EUC industry as a whole or sustainability industry since I've since I've been in it is that it's just it's just connected to so many more places in an organization than other frameworks or other things that I, I don't know how to put that other ideas that might have come to light because even at EUC Analytics, like the people that use our software is like 
our communications, it's finance people, it's the companies themselves, it's their suppliers, it's it's like all across the board, right? Um, so no, that's that's really interesting. That's a really good response. On the investment side, I'm a from the markets guy, and obviously love right. startup startup and financial world. So. Um, what kind of things are you looking at there from the incubation side? I mean, I imagine there's some clean tech and, you know, other elements in there, like really, really cool stuff happening there. So I'm curious to hear your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so, there's so much possibility. I think the problem is choosing what to, what to invest in, what to, what to incubate and what to. And, and, on, and on that thought as well, like, I think what always surprises me is that how much technology is out there and exists. Right. And it's like, when you're in there and you see, and you see it, you're like, like you already know, like, oh, the future is like already here, but it's like, we're somehow like, we already, you can already see like what is going to be implemented over the next like 10, 20 years. Right. So anyways, please go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so a lot of things that we're looking at are both kind of, um, lessons I'd say we've taken from our advisory work. So I mentioned kind of decision support and tools. And so we're seeing, you know, obviously your creative incredible platform, a credible tool to understand ESG. Um, from the outside in, right, instead of um, from from internal disclosures. But there's also tools that are kind of helping companies to um, make more sustainable decisions. We look at the choice architecture that an employee might have to go through in order to understand the environmental impact of a material choice or a product choice or even a um, supplier or a vendor. And these things, you know, if you're not, if you don't grow up in the world of sustainability, these are not obvious things. And it's incredibly difficult to train a massive company that has, you know, 100,000 workers. So how can we make it easier for all of those workers to implement sustainable thought processes into the things they do every day, right? We have to make it easy for them to do this. We have to make it rewarding and we have to make it irresistible. So that's, um, I would say that's kind of one maybe corner of of what we're looking into and and what we're um what we're investing in and, and understanding how we can make those tools generalizable enough so that they would sell as a tool and also um customizable enough so that they can adapt to different businesses because that's that's what we want is the scalability above everything else and then the other side are looking um kind of more transformational technologies thinking about carbon to value especially is a huge area where if we look at if we look at the direction we're headed and amount of emissions well, how, how would you describe carbon to value to the lay audience okay okay so um or person much, right there's too much carbon in the atmosphere right so um if we're not turning it off anytime soon which means we're gonna have to figure out how to pull carbon out of the atmosphere right we're just gonna have to capture and sequester it but right now, the problem has conventionally been that there's just no business case for the incredibly expensive kind of machinery and tool sets to pull uh, CO2 out of the air. There's a whole there's a whole wave of new technologies that I'm personally very excited about that are actually turning that sequestered CO2 into a product. So one good one, um, which is not something that we're investing in, but which I've been following avidly for a long time, is actually um, injecting captured CO2 into cement. And it makes yeah. the cement stronger. So it's actually creating a better product and you're creating obviously a, a business case for, for why you would pull CO2 out of the air. And um, there's everything from- That's CO2. awesome. That's a great, yeah. great use case. Yeah, right. And there's all kinds of other products. If you think about it, CO2 is really harmful if it's in our atmosphere, but carbon is the basic building block of you and me and everything on this planet. So. Yeah. Um, there's people making everything from shoes to vodka to um, yeah. <laughs> to building materials out of out of captured carbon and and um, jet fuel as well. Looking at how can we capture 
how can we capture carbon out of the air and, and it's so it cool i got like i got like goosebumps like just thinking about this stuff i remember just like once listening to the talk python to me podcast and these guys uh, at hypergiant were making it's like this refrigerator like refrigerator size thing that has like a bunch of algae and it soaks up carbon and it powers you know stuff in your house but everyone's like algae refrigerator is kind of like hooked up to like um a network where you can kind of it shares optimization along them right so you get energy and all that kind of stuff but that one tank captures more carbon than planting like 400 hectares of like trees and it's like whoa i don't know just this stuff is like mind blowing i think and uh i totally see like w i can totally see like a 2050 like it's just going to be incredible i know yeah exactly no that's that's the reality of it we have all these incredible technologies and sure a lot of them are expensive right now but you know it's there the investment is pouring into them and there's going to be a real need for this because we're just not hitting you know we're not anywhere close to just turning off the the co2 you know smokestack if you will we're continuing to pollute we're already you know we're, we're quickly kind of losing our ability to stay under that 1.5 degrees celsius number which means we're going to have to figure out a way to pull carbon out of the air so to me the companies who are making and the and the business models and basically the creative innovators who are making products out of that sequestered co2 it's just like an obvious yes we should be doing this and it totally. is really exciting like i get a big smile on my face too I'm Same. Like, I, I get a smile looking at your smile looking at <laughs> so it's a good segue actually because like you said okay these things are expensive but obviously uh you know like solar panels right costs come down over time is more investment blah 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 but I guess cost is only one part of the equation. And it reminds me of the talk that uh, you gave at the, the conference where, you know, uh, I was on the panel on like a few few weeks ago, where it's also driving uh, behavioral change, right? And making the sustainable choice, the easy choice from a consumer perspective. So I know you, you had a beautiful presentation on that. Are you able to summarize that uh, in a few minutes to, you know, the thought behind that adaptive adaption behavior or however else you want to phrase that? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. And uh, you had some awesome comments on that panel. So that was that was a fun event. I was glad we, <laughs> we could team up for that. Totally. Um, but anyway, so a lot of times uh, the companies that we work with, they'll actually invest a significant amount of, of money and resources into developing more sustainable products or systems or services. And then they wonder why those products don't sell as well, or they wonder why people aren't using them properly. And there's kind of this missing link when, that we see when it comes to sustainable transformation, which is that um, we forget about human nature. We forget about our psychology. We forget about our routines. And we forget that people are busy and really convenience is, is a top commodity today. So basically, I offered that talk kind of three strategies. And there's actually behavioral science is full of strategies and ideas that we can apply to sustainability. I mean, I, you know, I shared three, I'll share the three with you today, but there's so many more um, that I couldn't, I couldn't squeeze in. But anyway, so, so how do we make basically the sustainable innovations that we're investing in? How do we, how do we increase their adoption with our customers, with our communities, and even inside our, our own workforces? And there's three, there's three big ways to do that, to, to use human nature to unlock sustainable transformation. And so uh, the first one is we have to make it personal. So um, if I don't care about if I don't care about the product, if I don't care about sustainability, then you're going to have a hard time getting me to adopt or buy the product or, or change my routine. Right. Um, so there's some really interesting research in this area. I think my favorite example is probably the the uh, plastic cup. So, you know, recycling is not going to save the world, but we do have to figure out how to reuse our um, the things that we buy if we if we want to have any hope of kind of creating this this circular sustainable economy. So this one study found that. Um, 
if you basically put the a, a flag, so I'm American, so if you put an American flag on my cup, I am 33% uh, more likely to recycle it than to throw it out. And so that's awesome. Yeah, so we're linking identity to a sustainable action. And in that way, we're increasing the adoption of that practice. And they even found there's another one that's great, which is that if, um, you know, you go to like Starbucks and you get your name written on the cup, if they spell it wrong, you're more likely to throw out the cup than recycle it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. I know. So there's all these little um, behavioral science and cognitive psychology tricks that we can use. And they're not tricks, they're nudges, right? To get people to basically care about the things that we're selling them because we want them to end up you know, in the recycling, we want them to end up back in, in service for the next generation of products. Um, and then I'll quickly go through there too. So, so make it personal is, is a really big one when thinking about sustainable product adoption. Um, the next one is to make it social. So humans are very social creatures and we really kind of abide by social norms. Um, big example there is eating meat. I don't know if you've been to a grocery store lately. I live in Los Angeles, so maybe I'm maybe I get slightly more exposure to it than most people. But if you go to a grocery store, there's just an, an entire wall of plant-based products now. Where even five years ago, it wasn't anywhere near um, right. anywhere near that that many offerings. And that's because it's really become more socially acceptable to eat plant-based, either part or all of the time. And this is tracked. This is tracked both in um, you know Google search interest in the term veganism, and it's tracked in the industry as well. I mean, the plant-based food industry is growing massively. Um, it's growing really fast, which is which is exciting for a lot for everyone related to the industry, really. So anyway, behavior spreads through social norms. So we have to think about that when we're designing products and practices. How do we use peer-to-peer -peer competition, for example, to get people interested in saving energy? Um, Another one I shared shared on in that presentation was this uh, study that found that if you compare your energy usage to your peers' energy usage, you're more likely to save energy because you want to beat your neighbors. Totally right. Like the gamification <laughs> of that is is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and there's all kinds of interesting things that you can you can build into your your product experiences, right, to make them more enjoyable, more fun, stickier, and more yeah. kind of memorable. And then that's really the last one is, is how do we make sustainability irresistible? So we can make it the default option. So for example, um, you know, a, a classic example is just paperless bank statements instead of mailing bank statements. If you make it the default option, people aren't going to switch to be unsustainable. Yeah. But if you can't, if you can't make sustainability the default option, which is not always, not always a, a possibility for, for your product or your customer then you can make it easier. So this is about choice architecture and how we look at what are all the different choices that we're putting in front of our consumer and how do we make the sustainable choice, the easy choice, the most desirable and appealing choice for them. Um, and there's, you know, there's all kinds of, of different ways to do this. And we can use, we can use technology to do this and make it really feel automatic and, and, and to do this in a way that um, we're actually improving our customers' lives in the process which is, I think, one of the most aspirational parts of sustainability is how can, we, how can we make our customers' lives easier and more sustainable at the same time? And I think that's really our, our charter as innovators. Totally. And, you know, what's really interesting, like I love the, the words like choice architecture because I think it's really important. And, you know, everything that you just mentioned, like for, for consumers and for others, like that's you know, obviously the, the way to do it. And when you go back to that example of helping even the internal users in a company leverage technology to make a better choice on a supplier or something else, and you're right, because 
it's a complicated ecosystem. It's a million new terms. People have entire degrees on this stuff, right? So you can't be expected to just step out of bed and be like, oh, I'm going to be like the person to create a sustainable supply chain right off the bat, right? So nudging people, helping people invest in this technology, uh, using social uh, psychology, like it's like all of these little bits at a time to to make this happen, right? Um, I think that's awesome. So what's, what is the... What does the utopian future look like to you? Like, if you're if you're like to get out of bed, like no constraints. I think we even had a discussion like this. But if you had no just a no constraints life, you woke up and everything you just did, like you're the you're the most awesome sustainable sustainability innovator in the world. Like, what did you do? All right. Well, um, I'll give a I'll give a slightly out there answer because I feel like I feel like you might enjoy it, um, which is that. <laughs> I have this vision or this like, I guess I would call it a fantasy at this point where we're able to grow everything we need instead of manufacturing it. So it sounds like a utopian fantasy for sure. But if you look at biocomposites and bioprinting, I actually wrote my, mm -hmm. my thesis was on 3D printing for environmental purposes. But if you look at the direction that biocomposites are going, I mean, there's one day we could like actually print a house and we're printing houses now out of concrete. Yeah. So even that's not that far off. But if you start to look at um, if you start to look at bio-based substrates that are printable, then one day I could design a house and print it entirely with organic materials, right? And if it breaks, right. then great, I can just print a layer over it. Like I envision right. a world we we understand and we respect nature, but we also use our technological brilliance to create things um, that make the world just a, a better place. That's what, that's what I envision. That's awesome. I mean, like, that's just like, and you're able to then like just regenerate things on the fly you know what i mean uh self yeah everyone self serves and the components are natural the things are natural it's good for the environment it's good for the world i think that's just uh, an incredible place for the future um so that's great i think it's a really good place to end on that very optimistic utopian view and it's you know the way you make it sound it's not even that out there which is which is the cool part right um, i mean we're already uh, we're already printing batteries you can print circuits so you know totally. why not not you why not why why not why not i think it's the yeah exactly why not i remember seeing like you know 3d printed hearts 3d printed cells i mean if we can do that i'm pretty sure we can print a house you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yep or an airplane or a car yeah or whatever yeah so okay so if people wanted to get a hold of you uh find out more about hatcher as well where where can they do that yeah, absolutely. So they can go to our website, which is hatcher.llc. It's a little, it's a little cryptic right now, but there will be a, there will be a new one coming in, in the new year. Um, they can also reach out to our kind of contact, which email, which is hi at hatcher.llc and just drop us a line and, you know, say, Hey, and then they can also connect with me personally on LinkedIn. My name is Petra Janney. Uh, I think I'm the only one, but I'm not, not positive on that, <laughs> but yeah. yeah just, Petra, I know that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I uh, just really would like to thank you for, for taking the time and, and for um, having me on the show today. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your insight, and uh, you know, congratulations on founding a firm that's so built around purpose. So wishing you the best and, you know, I'm looking forward to being closely connected over the next, uh, next, next few weeks, months, uh, years over here. Awesome. Thanks, Q. Welcome.